Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is what we're looking at this morning. Our Christmas series, Gifts of God. Last week was the gift of existence. This week's the gift of rest. And what you're going to find is as I'm preaching through these messages, we're going to kind of be spiraling. We'll go back to the previous week and pull some things, and, and we'll have to go forward of some and talk about some things that we're going to talk about again. And it's just going to kind of snowball as we work toward Christmas Eve. Uh, this morning, the gift of rest, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Uh, short passage, but uh, uh, very important passage for us. Our memory verse uh, this week, we've uh, or this this quarter, uh, Etta was mean to us and took some words out. I thought we were going to have uh, the whole thing to say again, but nope, we're already learning. So uh, I think I think we'll we'll remember these words. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Eh, That wasn't too bad. I think we got those words. Maybe she'll take out the and and the the next week and it won't be too difficult either. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. The gift of rest. Now, I planned this series or came up with this series back in early to mid-September and kind of had an idea of where I would be going with each passage and uh, what I'd be talking about, what the focus would be and that sort of thing. And this happens pretty often that I begin the sermon planning with full confidence of where it was, is going and then start working on it and realize that is nowhere near where this sermon is going to end up. And that's what happened uh, with this one. I started, I thought, yeah, these are going to be the things I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to talk about a theology of rest. And yeah, that's a thing. And how you know we need to take time and stop and, and not be up till 2.30 in the morning working on your sermon. And you know stuff like that. Rest and as I got into the passage, realized, nope, that's not where this is going. Because you follow the text. And that's what I ended up doing. This passage, uh, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, is, is set apart. Uh, and, and literally, it's the odd man out. You've got, uh, I talked about last week, the, the parallels of days 1 through 3 and days 4 through 6 of creation. Uh, days one through three, the the environment was created, and verses uh, uh, four through or days four through six, the inhabitants of those environments were created. So you have this parallelism; it's an even number. It, 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 they each complement each other, and then you have this odd day, this seventh day, that really doesn't make sense. Uh, our, our week, our seven-day week, has no basis in uh, the cosmos, in astronomy. Uh, our year is 365 and one-quarter days because that's how long it takes the earth to get around the sun. And we have our leap year every four years because that quarter day adds up. Our, our month generally corresponds to the, uh, the, the rotation of the, the moon, uh, the, or the moon cycle, not the rotation of it, but its, its uh, position uh, respective to the sun and what we see. It's, that's about 28 days, not exactly, and then we have, but we have the uh, make up for those days. But lunar months don't fit into our year exactly right, and, and, but the week has no bearing on any of that. There's no reason why the week our, our week has seven days, except for Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. That's where we get our week from. So when, remember, of course, when Moses was writing the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and when all these people, except for probably Psalms, 
um, were writing these books, they didn't have chapters and verses. Psalms had chapters, but probably not verses. The Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, didn't have chapters or verses, neither did Acts, neither did the Gospels, you know, those sorts of things. So somebody along the way decided chapter 2 should go right here at where we have chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. In reality, that, those three verses go with the previous six days, right? It just follows. But we think, we don't have notes on why they did this, we think they did it because that seventh day is the odd man out. They thought we need to set this apart and start something new here because there's something different. Okay, what's different about it? Anytime we go to Scripture, uh, somebody, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm ready for Sunday school because I, I, I have no idea what this passage means. And that's good. I, I'm, I'm glad that, that that's the, what happens. I don't know what this means. I want to go learn. What we must do anytime we come to Scripture, the first thing we ask, and, and in an Old Testament passage especially, and I'll tell y'all just, just in general, the two questions you can ask about Scripture, if, you're come, if you come to a passage and you go, man, I have no idea what this means, try to put yourself in the position to whom it was written of the person to whom it was written, or the, the audience to whom it was written. Because we need to understand the author's intent, and he was writing to a specific group at a specific time. And then, because we are Christians, and we live in a New Testament world, how does that passage point to Jesus? If you can just work on answering those two questions as you come to a passage of Scripture, that will give you a lot of insight, a lot of things to chew on, a lot of things to think about. So when we come to this passage and we try to understand why is this day set apart, we want to ask, what did the original hearers or readers understand? And that's a complicated answer. Remember, Moses, as I said, wrote the first five books of the Bible as one book. And we don't know when he wrote it. But obviously, he didn't write Genesis while creation was happening. Do we agree with that? Yeah, he wasn't there. This was inspiration. God told him to write these things. He, God presented it to him this way. So it's all after the fact. Moses probably wrote this down toward the end of his life, toward the end of the wilderness wanderings, to give the people something to read and, and to teach from, when he was gone. These are all things that he had been teaching and then teaching to others to teach to others. But then he decided, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write this down. So when we look at the people who were hearing it, we actually have to start, I believe, at the ending. We have to look backwards through the Pentateuch, through uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, into Genesis. Because that's how the people he was writing to would have experienced it. They would know this story. They would know the story of creation. They would know the story of the seventh day. They would have been living the, the weekly cycle of work, 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 rest and worship their entire lives. They would have known the, 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 the reason for the seventh day from the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They would have known about the tabernacle and going to worship at the tabernacle on that seventh day because they had been doing it for the 40 years that they wandered in the desert. And as we move forward in time and some... 500 years later, the temple is built. They were still known, would have known all of these things. They, we then look back at the purpose of this passage through that. They would know and remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. They would know the tabernacle was a place that God dwelt 
and where they worshipped. This passage, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, would explain why those two things were so. The Sabbath to be remembered and the tabernacle, later temple, as a place to worship. And you're going, how? Well, just bear with me. Remember, I'm going to say remember a lot. Remember I said at the beginning? I did it again. We're going to be spiraling. We're going to talk about some things we've already talked about and bring them in this morning. Because this is all one narrative. We've, we've not gotten out of the creation week, and yet here we are two sun, a Sunday apart. Remember that God is the focus here, not the people. God is the reason he is telling, God is telling the people these things. It's, it's about him. Creation is about him. Okay? Also, remember that I told you last week that the Old Testament is moving us from the universal, the big picture, to the particular. The, the whole purpose of the Old Testament. Well, we'll start back at the creation. From universe, everything, black holes and galaxies and space and the edge of space and whatever's out there beyond that, the entire universe, he moves to the particular of earth. And then we see the creation of earth. And we see the the creation of all these living things, plants, uh, sea creatures, creatures of the air, all the the land-dwelling animals... All these living things, then, are narrowed down to one particular living thing, humanity. But then, all humanity, as we move through Genesis, and we get to Genesis 12 with Abraham, and we get to the Egypt and the Exodus, all humanity is focused down to one nation. And as we move through the Old Testament toward Malachi, toward the intertestamental period of about 400 years when there was no prophet, to what we celebrate today, we are moving from one nation to one person, Jesus. From the universal to a baby born in a manger. Remember that as we talk about this idea, this, this, this seventh day of rest, and move towards something more focused. We're, we are getting somewhere specific as we work through this passage. So you're going to have to kind of follow along with me as we work through it. The points aren't going to be like they often are when I preach. This passage makes this point. And we need to live this point. And this passage makes, no, we're, we're going to be deducing some things, some deductive reasoning as we move through this passage. And I'm going to try to be just as clear as I can. And i got to admit to you, when I was planning this sermon out and, and thought about, I thought where it was going to go, and then I started preparing it, I was like, now this is actually pretty cool. I just hope you all agree with me. Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Number one, the completion of work. Now that's just obvious in the passage, but have you thought about what it means that God was done? There was nothing left to do. He had created everything. He had created everything he was going to create. He was done with the the work that he was going to do as it had to do with creation. 
Michael, you're just saying the same thing over and over again. I know, because I want you to hear the finality of it. Now, God is going to be doing other things. He's going to be working in history. He's going to be continuing to narrow it down from this universe he created to that one baby in the manger. And then from there, we know the New Testament story. We, we go from here, and we get to Jesus, to here, and then we start doing this again. And we have a worldwide church. But, but, but let's not get too far. We're, we're, we're getting to here now, but back here. We're at the creation, and God says, I'm done. And he says it three times in this passage. In, in other passages, it just says he created, and he was done. But look how, I wanted you to see it literally how it would be in, in, in Hebrew. Notice that the seventh day, the phrase the seventh day, is in the middle of those first three lines. So God finished by the seventh day his work which he did. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he did. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because on it he rested from all his work, which God created to do. Now, if you don't think the focus of Genesis 1 and 2 and the entire Bible is God, God is mentioned by name three times, by pronoun twice. And it tells us that he, I'm sorry, by pronoun one, two, Four times, yes, four times. So God is referenced seven times in these two little verses. And we're told three times about his work. We're told three times, twice that he rested, and once that he finished. God is telling us something here in this passage that we can quickly skim over and say, all right, he was done. No, 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 no. He, it was very good. Remember? Let's fast forward. When Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in, I think in Nazareth, and he gets up and he reads Isaiah, reads a passage about the, the, the prophecy of the coming Messiah, and he says, in your presence today, this prophecy is fulfilled. And then he, y'all remember what he does? He sits down in the chair that really nobody's supposed to sit in. He sits because it's done. It's, it's completed. Fast forward three more years on the cross when he is about to die. And he knows he's about to. I mean, he's known he's going to die, but now he knows he is mere moments from death. He says, it's finished. It's completed. The work is done. He comes back three days later. He spends 50 days or so, uh, 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 40 days among the people and is, is shown to him. And then, then he ascends to heaven to do what? To sit down at the right hand of the Father because the work is done. There is, there is power in the sitting, in the completing of the work that God does. So God says in chapter 2, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, or rather 2 and 3, I finished, and I'm sitting down. I'm done. Now, we see the, the completion of the work, like the, 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 the product is done, but could he have done something else? He, he could have, but in verse, uh, verses, uh, the second half of verse 2, we see the cessation of work. Well, Michael, how is that different from the completion of work? It means he doesn't work anymore. So he's created this thing, 
and he doesn't do anymore. There's nothing more to do because what he has made already is very good. At the time, it's perfect. Sin will mar that. But the work of creation is both completed and he ceases. Now, here's where we get into some translation things. It, our, our scripture, the, the Christian Standard Bible, the one in your chairs, the one I'll show on the screen, it says rested. The literal translation of that word is not rest, but ceased working. Well, why does that matter? For one thing, God doesn't get tired. And if we focus too much on rest, as we think of rest, as taking a nap while the football game is on, you're watching football or watching golf, but you're really just napping. God doesn't need to do that. God doesn't rest. We need rest, and that is certainly part of what God is creating for us, a, a cycle of work, rest, work, rest. There, the, he's actually going to set it up now for a week, then he's going to set it up for seven years, and then he's going to set it up for seven uh, times seven years, 49 years in the 50th year, the year of Jubilee. He, is, he, he sets up rest over and over, physical rest, because we need physical rest. We need emotional rest. But God doesn't need rest. So what's he doing? He's completed the, 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 project, the project. He is no longer going to work on that product, that project. And now he's going to stop working. Okay. Stay with me. Verse 3. The blessing of resting. God didn't need to rest. God's not saying, and now naps are holy. That's not what he's saying. I think it's very close to the truth. I'm a big fan of them. I will take one this afternoon. But that's not what he's saying. Did you notice when you read verse Verses 1 through 3. When I read verses 1 through 3, did you notice something that's in the other six days that is not in the seventh day? There's no evening and morning phrase. We are still in the seventh day. God is still ceasing his creative work. He has not created anything new since that time he created the earth. We're still in that. Incidentally, this is one of the reasons some people say that the days, one through six, may not mean 24-hour periods, as well as the, the fact that the sun and the, didn't exist until the fourth day and those sorts of things. That the seventh day isn't an evening and morning, the seventh day thing. It's almost a state of mind not not for god it's just not an actual literal in this case day because we're still in it doesn't matter your view of creation whether you think it was 6000 years ago or 60000 or 600000 or 15 billion doesn't matter we're still in that seventh day and god took that seventh day and he set it apart he said, I did all this work on the six days. I created everything. Here's, here's how I did it. Here's what you need to get from it. And on the seventh day, I took it and said, this is special. This is important. Why? Well, one of the reasons, remember our audience. Remember Moses' audience. He has been teaching this while they wander through the desert for 40 years. He's writing it down to explain to the people that come after, once they get into the promised land, what was going on. He has a message to the Israelites that are now wandering in the desert, desert who were looking forward to rest in the promised land. Moses writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, on the seventh day, he rested, and we are still, he is still resting. 
It is a promise. It is a holy thing to rest from your labors. And one day, Israel, you will rest. Now, sadly, if we remember, not every, the reason they're wandering 40 years is so that an entire generation will die off. Hebrews tells us they, would, did ne- they never saw the rest. Exodus tells us they would never see their rest in the promised land. But many of them would. God, in part, in this passage in Genesis, for the folks wandering in the desert at that time, following Moses as all of their GPSs said, recalculating, recalculating, because they just kept going around in circles, and it was just it was supposed to be a straight line, and they're doing this. They're stuck on the roundabout. God is showing them that rest is built in. Rest is a part of the plan. Rest is part of his creation, and it is a good part of creation, and it is a blessed, a, a special part of creation. He blessed humans... He blessed this seventh day. But also remember, we're going from the universal to the particular. So this gets us now from this passage and what it is saying, or the words that it's saying to this broader image. Here's where you have to stick with me. Number four. The universe is God's resting place. Remember, it's all about Him. It's not about us. He's creating an environment for us, but the creation was to glorify Him. And humans are to glorify Him. He didn't have to have an earth, but it is part of His nature to create. That is who God is. He is a creative God, so He creates And he creates a resting place for him. Remember I told you last week, I didn't go into great detail, but I told you that the the creation account in part is to deny and to debunk the myths of the other religions around them. And and their creation stories. And nearly every culture, for example, has a creation story. Nearly every culture has a flood story. And God says... Yeah, that, that's, I know. And, and those stories are going to tell you, like most of the creation stories, they, the, the creation is a result either of God, a couple of gods hooking up, or it is uh, the result of a fight and who can be more powerful, more creative. And then they end up having to create the earth because the humans just get on their nerves and they got a place to have them. They got to have a place to put them so they can get away from them. And God says, none of that's right. I created humans. I created the earth as, as my dwelling place. Genesis 3, 8 God inhabits the earth. God's walking after the Adam and Eve have sinned. He's walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, a time when he always does that with Adam and Eve. God is not distant from the earth. He is a part of it. Isaiah 66.1 says, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Now admittedly, The Israelites at this time, wandering in the desert, they don't know that passage. That's still some math years away, 600 years away, that Isaiah is going to say this. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't the case at this time. They didn't know it, but God did. The earth, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? See, God has his resting place at creation. On this seventh day, God says, I have made the earth and everything in it. I've made the universe. I've made the heavens. I have done all of this. And this is my resting place. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. 
In the beginning, God created his resting place. But remember, we're moving from the universal to the particular. God was worshipped at this time. And what is worship but resting slash ceasing work to be in God's presence? Right? Y'all aren't working. You, you took the day off from work to be here. You're resting in God this morning, I hope. But at this time, he was worshipped, resting, ceasing work to be in God's presence, at altars scattered around, wherever he was met, whenever the people were called or they responded. There was no central location. The earth was the temple, universal. Number five, the temple, I'm sorry, the tabernacle as God's resting place. Now, again, hang with me. He's created this universe, and Isaiah 66 says, the heaven, heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. That's the big picture, but that's not where he's stopping. He sets aside this seventh day to say, I'm resting and I'm sitting on what I've created. But this isn't where it ends. Creation wasn't where it ended for us. Uh, universe, humanity, nation, person. God resting in his universe, on his earth. Narrow it down to the tabernacle that his spirit fell on and filled where it doesn't use this word but he rested all right what am i talking about in exodus 39 and 40 we see the building of the tabernacle the creation of the tabernacle and the language of creation is echoed in the language of the building of the tabernacle for example moses inspected the work. In Genesis, God looked over what he had created. Moses looked over what had been made in the tabernacle. In, uh, I believe it's chapter 40, Moses blessed the work. God blessed his work in Genesis 1 and 2. In uh, Exodus 39 and 40, it says Moses finished the work, completed the work, Ceased from work. In Genesis, God ceased from work. And you're thinking, how did the people know this? Remember, they've heard these stories. And we're, we're looking at the hearer's perspective, but we're looking back through this. They knew the Exodus story. Some of them had lived through the building, the creation of the tabernacle. They had heard Moses talk about it. They had probably heard Moses say something along the lines of, God created this, and he told us to do this. That was good, and as we have done it according to his standards and rules, this is good. God blessed his creation, and he blessed his seventh day, where we will set aside that day to worship him. And here now, as we create the tabernacle where his glory will rest, we will, I will, Moses will bless it, and we will worship him here. At the tabernacle. The Spirit of God in Genesis 1-2 that hovered above the waters. The next time that phrase, Spirit of God, is used, it's used in relation to Bezalel who constructs the tabernacle, Exodus 31-3. The Spirit of God was in him, was on him. To be able to craft from stone and metal and do all these wonderful things. That's the next time that the Spirit of God in that phrase shows up. The creation of the tabernacle. Creation of the world. Creation of the tabernacle. And as I said, when the tabernacle and then later the temple was complete, God's cloud, His glory, His Spirit filled it. So... God's home has gone from the universe, heavens as his throne, earth as his footstool, 
to now he has found his home in the tabernacle. Is God contained in that tabernacle? Absolutely not. But that is where he chooses to rest, to allow the people to come to him and worship him. As he has rested in this tabernacle, he, he was worshipped. What did I say worship was? Resting, ceasing work to be in God's presence. And now he is in one location, the tabernacle, later the temple, on a particular day, the seventh day. Why? Because that's what he did on the seventh day. He said, this day is special. I am stopping the work. And I'm going to rest. I'm going to sit. And on this day, he sits and rests on the tabernacle. Are you with me so far? I know this is... How do we get from creation to the tabernacle, Michael? I hope, I hope you were able to follow from this universal to the particular. But we're only halfway to the particular because where are we going? What's, what's, what's the focus here? Jesus, the gift of rest to us. Number six. Then along came Jesus. See, we, we must look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3 from the perspective of the hearers, but that's not the perspective we're stuck in. We look at that passage from the perspective of 2,000 years after the cross. We have the fuller revelation. They knew in part, and then they knew a little more at the tabernacle, but now we know exactly what God was doing. See, Jesus comes along and says... You're not going to worship. You're not going to rest or cease from work in order to be in God's presence. You're not going to worship at this temple in Jerusalem or that temple as he's talking to the Samaritan woman. You're going to worship in spirit and in truth. So where does that mean? We're back to all over everywhere. But worship is a heart issue. It is no longer a location and a time issue. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, uh, take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I shared a screenshot of a paragraph from one of the commentaries I was reading earlier in the week. And I didn't know if I was going to share it this morning or not, so I didn't make a copy of it to bring in here. So I'm going to, without my reading glasses, going to try to read. Oh, it got big enough. Okay. Worship. Rest. Come to me, all you who are weary. We don't worship on the Sabbath anymore. That's yesterday. We worship on the Lord's Day, as the New Testament church did. But it's not a law. Because we worship not in this temple or that temple. We don't worship at a place at a time. We worship in spirit and in truth. But, but, this author writes, is the Sabbath a law that we Christians have to keep? Well, the answer is that if we have to be reminded, commanded, or coerced, to observe it, it ceases to serve its function. The Sabbath is not the sort of thing that should have to be regulated by rules. It is the way we acknowledge that God is on the throne, that God has inhabited his universe, his tabernacle, our hearts. 
that this world is his world, that our time is his gift to us. It is big picture time, and the big picture is not me, my family, my country, my world, or even the history of my world. The big picture is God. Are we commanded to worship on the Sabbath, to rest? No. Have you ever tried to get a three-year-old to take a nap? You might, they might finally give up and drift off, but you got some hard-headed ones. They will lay in there for two hours and never close their eyes. You can't coerce rest. You can't coerce worship. We can't make you show up on Sunday morning. We can present songs, we can present scripture, we can pray, I can preach, but I cannot make you have a relationship with the Lord. I cannot make you meet with him this morning. You can go to the lake, you can go to the Toledo Bend, you can go to wherever, you can do whatever you want to, uh, travel ball, travel whatever, your kid's not going to go pro, but whatever. You can do all these things instead of worshiping. We can't make you do it. But we shouldn't have to. It is for you. Man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath for man. It is for us. Did I say that right? Did I get that the right direction? I hope I did. I hate it when I misquote the Bible. I think so. No, I think I said it backwards. The point is, it was not a law. It's for our good. Yes, God has gifted us with rest from labor. He knows we need naps. Elijah. Boy, you're stressed out. Have a snack, take a nap. Yes, God has gifted us with rest in order to worship Set aside this day. Set aside a time in spirit and in truth and worship me. Come to me. Spend time with me. You've got to. Your soul needs the rest. And you're only going to find it in his presence. But most importantly, God has gifted us through Jesus with that rest for our souls. We look at the seventh day, later called the Sabbath. God just called it the seventh in our passage this morning. We look at that seventh day and we see God beginning the preparations for the ultimate rest slash ceasing from work to be in God's presence. The eternal worship that we get to take part in through our relationship with Jesus Christ. From the universal to that one particular day that we stand at God's throne and we worship him for eternity. The glory, the beauty of it is we get to experience that just a little bit right now. In this place, we get to worship we get to rest. Normally, I give you the... That's the wrong... Is there another slide, Pat? Okay, well, that's the wrong one. I forgot to change it. There we go. Normally, I give you the big idea at the beginning. This morning, the big idea would be up there, but it's not. So I'll just have to read it to you. I give it to you at the end. God's rest on the seventh day is the opening note to the melody of worshipful rest that crescendos to our eternal rest in God's presence found only through Jesus Christ. I flipped it on you. We went from this to this with this one little passage. God says, let me talk about rest for a minute. And as I move through Scripture with y'all, 
It goes from me ceasing, sitting down, to y'all sitting with me in the tabernacle. Me resting on the tabernacle. To me resting in your hearts. To you resting in eternity with me. That opening note begins this melody that works throughout Scripture. And new parts come in, new instruments are added, and we build to the end till we get to be in God's presence, but only because of our relationship with the one, Jesus Christ. The gift of rest this morning that you need, you might need a nap. You need a day to worship every week. But you have got to have rest for your soul. An internal torment separated from God is not going to be rest. The rest that you need is only found in Jesus. You need rest from sin. You need to cease working. You know, you can't work your way out of sin. You can't work your way into heaven. That's why you have to rest in Jesus. That's why you come to him, all you who are weary. What are you weary of? The nine to five? Sure, but it is sin that weighs us down. What is the greatest need of humanity today? It is forgiveness of sin. That is the burden. Come to him, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and he will give you rest, not for your back, not for your legs, not for your arms, but for your soul. He will save your eternal soul because he will take the sin from you. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's say it another way. The burden of life is the death caused by sin. But the gift of God, the eternal life, the removal of that burden, the rest that we can find is only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning you can find rest for your souls. Eternal rest. Not temporary rest. Not got to get back up in the morning and start all over again. But you can cease from working for your salvation and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. And he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. His work is done. And your work won't get it done. Find rest in Jesus this morning. You have a next step to take today. Maybe you need to accept salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You need to find rest for your soul. Maybe you need to be baptized. We're going to be doing that next Sunday. We're going to be baptizing. Next Sunday is our baptism and uh, parent-child dedication Sunday. Maybe you need to be a part of that baptism You need to conform your life to Christ. Maybe you need to submit to his plan in your life. You've been running from him. Maybe you need to join FBC. That's your next step. That's how you're going to submit. Every one of us has a decision to make this morning. Maybe you need to rest. Maybe you're a believer, but you need rest for your soul this morning. Come To him, you're not going to find it anywhere else, believer. Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of every heavy burden we carry, we have rest in you. Lord, thank you for the rest of worship. Thank you for the rest of a Sunday morning where we come and we are part of your family, to worship you. Lord, I pray that this morning, that in this place, there will be those who will be convicted of not resting, not worshiping in you. 
for whom this is a rote habit, something they just have to do and they do it and they don't like it, but they do it because they're supposed to and they don't get anything out of it because nothing's the way they want it. Lord, change their hearts so that today and every Sunday is a rest for their souls. Lord, Lord, for those listening who've never experienced true rest, they somehow still think that they're going to earn their way to salvation, they're going to work their way into heaven, or they're going to get there and they're going to talk you into it. Lord, may they find rest and lay down their burden of sin and find salvation in you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of rest, for setting aside that day when you enthroned yourself on your creation and said, be with me. When you enthroned yourself in that tabernacle and said, be with me. When you hung your son on the cross, completed the work, and he was raised and ascended to be with you and sat at the right hand of your throne, and you still call us to be with you. Thank you that you provide rest for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? Take a few minutes while we sing to work out some things with God. Maybe you want to come up here and pray. You'd like to pray with me. Chelsea will be over here. A couple of our deacons, Lee and Kirk, will be in the back if you'd like to pray with them. Whatever it is this morning, find rest for your soul, whatever it is you're going through. Let's stand and sing and trust him this morning.